Welcome into the Duck Territory Podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is across the way. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, getting this done just before I go to Vegas for the men's tournament. Uh, the women just wrapped up, uh, and there's a lot to get to in this podcast. So if if you're here for women's basketball discussion, if you're here for spring football discussion, oh, because oh, by the way, spring football has started. There's too much going on. Uh, and then also we'll go into the Pac-12 tournament. We'll make our picks. Uh, we'll discuss some of the Pac-12 honors that were given out for Oregon. Should other players have been on the list? Uh, and just kind of just wrap things up of just the overall mindset of this basketball team for the men's side. Uh, but first, let's get into this women's uh, basketball program. They've now completed their basketball season, or I guess the regular season, uh, with making it to the Pac-12 tournament conference championship game uh, against the Stanford team that they beat by 40. But quite honestly, I was kind of skeptical if they were even going to win by 15. I, I was expecting it to be kind of a, a, a rock'em, sock'em type of game just because the Ducks were playing their third game in three days, uh, two against, against two really good opponents, UCLA on Saturday, yeah. Stanford, which went into overtime, uh, and then Stanford, and Stanford's a, still a really good team. I, well, I think, honestly, I think the UCLA game may have played just as large of a toll on the team as Sunday's game against Stanford. That doesn't take anything away from Stanford, because I think you watch that game and you see a team that was motivated, was probably embarrassed by the way Oregon beat them uh, in, in February. But I just thought from the very beginning of that Stanford game on Sunday yeah. night, that championship game... They looked tired. They looked tired. They didn't have the legs. You know, this is a team that is, you know, the best offense in the country. I mean, you can't really argue. If you look down the line, that all the stats favor Oregon nationally, and you're seeing Aaron Boley, one of the best three-point shooters in the country, and Mike Tekazorla, another one of the better three-point shooters in the country, airball threes, other jump shots. I think Sabrina Nescu had a couple that were also short and or, or just off the mark, just shots that were off the backboard that typically would look a little bit more uh, within their comfort zone. So it just didn't look comfortable the whole way through that first half. They go into the half, and you're kind of going like, Are they, is this even going to be close? Right. Is this going to become a blowout? And to Oregon's credit, that championship mentality comes out. They go on an 18-3 to run. They actually lead going into the fourth quarter. But I think that I think you also saw them run out of gas a little in that fourth quarter. And, again, Stanford deserves a lot of credit. They basically just kind of put Oregon away with, with a, a, a run at the end. Darren Carrington's younger sister, we should mention, leading the way, Dijanique uh, Carrington, I think she had like 24 points in the game. So I, I think probably a little bit of a disappointing conclusion to this tournament. I think obviously Oregon fans would have wanted to, to win this, but – when you just kind of look at it objectively and you go, this is a team that doesn't have a whole lot of healthy bodies to begin with, and they already relied on their core of five or six players. Right. This is a tournament where Serena Escu played 125 out of 125 minutes, where Maite Cazorla, I think, played 115 out of 125 minutes. And down the line, Ruthie Hebert and yeah. Statsu Sabali played a ton of minutes. I think they're just worn out by this, and I think they're really going to uh, enjoy this 12 to 13 day rest they now get before the NCAA starts. Yeah, it's the the byproduct of basically having a six person bench, um, and the fact that yeah yeah there's uh, Lydia Giomi and, and there's Morgan Yeager, but those two players throughout the entire season now th- their minutes went up a little bit in the Pac-12 tournament. Um, yeah. Yeager had that big stretch against UCLA hitting those three threes. Might not win if she doesn't do that. Yeah, to to get Oregon into the championship game, but at the same time, you know. Kelly Graves and, and Oregon, you know, relied on his six key guys, and that was uh, obviously Sabrina, Ruthie, Maite, and then you've got Aaron Bully and Satu Sabley, and then off the bench it's Adi Gildan. And, right. and I'd be really curious to know if if they had 
if if they had one more guard that they could throw out there for tournaments, a Taylor Chavez, <laughs> the one who's hurt, yeah, the one who's hurt. Uh, and this isn't to discredit Morgan Yeager at all, but if they just ha- if if Chavez was on was available, I, I'd really be curious to see kind of what that Saturday that Sunday game against Stanford would have looked like because yeah. that just would have given you two guards to come off the bench. You could, in theory, have Satu and Maite resting at the same time. You could have Sabrina rest a little bit, at least. Yeah, yeah. and you know, and then the byproduct of that is you then put Satu back on the court, you then put uh, Maite back on the court, and Taylor stays on, and Sabrina comes off, and you still have you know two pretty prolific scorers out on the out on the court from the wing perspective. Yeah. Um. Now, now they wait. Uh, do do they get the, the, the coveted two seed out west? I, I think the door was open for them to get a one seed. And yeah. if had they won, and uh, obviously they didn't. And now the, what the tournament committee is going to do between these two teams is pretty tough to figure. I don't think it's tough. Um, Oregon's 29-4. and four, Stanford's 28-4. and four, Almost identical records. Yeah. But Oregon has a win over a one seed. They have a 40-point win over a two seed who happens to be the team that you're competing for with that other team. So I, I know they're one and one in records, but look, the reality is this, you know, Oregon over the course of the season was the, the far better program than Stanford was this year. The question now becomes how close to that level of play can Oregon get by the time the tournament rolls around? Because clearly they're not, at that level right now because of the injuries. Regarding that whole Portland thing, Europeans <laughs> Charlie Krem or Cream, I don't know how you pronounce his name exactly. Uh, he has Oregon locked in as the two seed in Portland. He actually posted um, his seed lines down and had Oregon as the sixth number sixth ranked team at Stanford as seven. So he has oh, them kind of neck and neck right next to each other. So there is, I think, still some uncertainty, but I agree with you. I, I really think the head-to-head 40-point Oregon win over Stanford. On Stanford's floor. On Stanford's floor. I would imagine that would be one of those needle movers of, okay, even if the resumes were completely even, if you go, well, Stanford won by seven in the conference championship, but Oregon beat them by 40 points early in the season. I would imagine that would play an impact. And also, I think, let's be real here, people in the state of Oregon in Portland are going to come see Oregon yeah. in droves if Oregon is playing in the Sweet 16 and they lead eight at, at the Moda Center. I don't think Stanford gets anywhere near the same type of uh, reception. Not even fans. at their home court. Not even at their home court. So I think having Oregon in Eugene for the first two, those are going to be sellouts. And then if you have them up in Portland, I don't know if those are going to be sellouts. I think Moda Center holds, what, 17,000 people, something like that. But those are going to be very well-attended games for sure. So I, I, I think though bearing those two kind of factors in mind, I would expect Oregon's in Portland. But I think kind of the way the tournament played out, Stanford winning the conference championship, I think that maybe kind of opened the door for some possibility of something interesting happening. I don't expect it will happen. And we should mention that um, because of the way things played around the country, Notre Dame beat Louisville, that knocked them down a seed line. Mississippi State, who lost to Oregon back in December, is set, according to ESPN, to be the number one seed in Portland. That would be a rematch if they met in the Elite Eight round to go to the Final Four. So a lot of interesting things kind of going because of this. We should also mention, I don't know if we got to this last week's podcast, I don't think so, um, Sabrina School repeats as Pac-12 Player yeah. of the Year and Kelly Graves as Coach of the Year. Great honors for both of them. I think very well deserving. I don't think well Graves is first at Oregon. First, yeah, it's first ever at Oregon, which I was a little surprised given the fact that yeah. this program has been so successful the last couple of years. But 
Very well deserved for Sabrina. This is a, a repeat performance, obviously. And, and Tara Vanderveer won it the year before that, which was interesting because she, she won eleven previously. And why, <laughs> why, why would I, I, I don't know? It just seems strange that the one coach has never won it before, and it's an outright win. And a coach has won it, I think, like seventeen conference championships, eleven coaches of the year, and you give it to her. But who cares? That was last year. Uh, I think I think they kind of corrected course and got it right this year. So um, I think very interesting to see what the seedings look like. It's different on the women's side here. On the men's side, obviously, you, Oregon's going to play, or the Pac-12 championship game is going to be played on Saturday. Sunday, they'll immediately announce the seed lines. We're waiting here until, I think, the 18th, I think yeah. that Monday, to see what any of this stuff is going to look like. So, obviously, uh, a little bit of a, a breather here for this program, which I think they need, and, and they don't even get an opportunity to really focus on a team, which is a good thing, because they can get more time just to kind of focus on themselves. Yeah, Kelly Graves is like... Last That's time, the he, quote. he was on the radio, or he, he's out recruiting right now. Like, he's not even in Eugene. You know, they're not doing practice. You know, I'm sure they're doing some kind of light workouts. Right. But, you know, they're they're fully on, let's just get rest before we have to, you know, before we have to even worry about who we could potentially be playing or where we're even going. We do know they're not leaving Eugene. No, there, there will be two more games 100% that, yeah. in that in that arena. Um, they're just waiting on who the opponents will be and then what region they'll be in. And then from there, you know, if it's Portland, then they don't leave the state of Oregon. And I'm with you. I, I think um, the NCAA, it, it, there's going to be a, a lot of lost potential financially mm-hmm. growing the sport. I think if they don't put Oregon in Portland because – that you got an opportunity where I, I legitimately think like if that Elite Eight game it could be sold out. You oh yeah, yeah. You you yeah. could have twenty thousand fans at a women's basketball game in the tournament that's not featuring UConn and isn't a Final Four game. I mean that's has that ever happened? I don't know. I don't know either, but I, I agree. I think there's a huge potential for this, and we should mention just in case Oregon does not get important, they would either be then in the Albany, Chicago, or Greensboro region. So none of them are even remotely close okay. to Oregon. So it's a significant change between playing in Portland or possibly playing in North Carolina, Illinois, or New York. Uh, shifting over now to football, uh, as crazy as it sounds, as there was snow on the on the ground still when it started, uh, they have started spring football. Uh, Mario Cristobal's football program, as of March 12th, has had two practices. They had their first on Saturday, uh, what was it, the 9th? Correct. And uh, it, was a, it was a day where Mario Cristobal said they were in PE shorts and helmets, uh, PE uniforms and helmets, uh, shorts and T-shirts and uh, helmets. They were running around doing a lot of teaching, it seemed like. Uh, very little, you know, it was not like your typical fall camp practice or a fall season practice where, you know, they were they were intense. They were you know they were getting after it. There was competition. There was hustle. There was grit. There was effort. But uh, it had a different vibe of camp than you know than what it does during the season. I think it was let's get better. Let's yeah. not worry about the opponent. Let's just get better. And that was kind of the, the takeaway I took from from Saturday's practice. And and then again it carried over onto Monday. That's what I thought as well. It just felt like heavy teaching, heavy installation type of practices exactly. where they're either going through. Obviously Andy Avalos has a full defense to implement, and obviously they're they're going to spend a lot of time in the spring as they always do, working on the details, on the position, you know, the individual drills, the position drills, which is what we've seen. A lot of I don't we really haven't seen anything besides that besides stretching and then right. position and individual drills so far into practices, which obviously we'd like to see people running around doing a little bit more. But you understand given the circumstances, and I I do, I do think 
you know, at least hearing what the coaches have said afterwards, it sounds like they've been very productive practices. I think we've heard really positive things basically from now head coach Mario Cristobal, offensive coordinator Marcus Soro, and defensive coordinator Andy Avalos on, on Monday. Uh, it sounds like they're getting a lot out of these practices. It sounds like these have been beneficial practices from everything they've said. Um, Avalos was saying the guys were flying around re- really well, which is, you know, I think a positive thing considering that their head may be swimming because they are making some changes here. Um, you know, I think this defense will probably remind some uh, of other defenses they've seen in the country, not necessarily what we saw under Jim Levitt, just in terms of kind of the way things are aligned. So, and we'll get to more into that probably in the weeks going forward when we get to see a little bit more of what that looks like. When we've been watching practices, they haven't even broken up into an 11-man alignment to really yeah. give us an, a look of what it looked like. They're doing these weird six-man group things, which if you've been following the site, you could probably you've probably seen some of the weird things they've been doing in practice, but. Um, I think uh, cool things to talk about probably is just the, the freshmen that are here. Mm-hmm. There are six. Kayvon Thibodeau's headliner. He's the headliner, and, and uh, you know we, when we post an image of him on social media, everybody gets excited even if it's just a still photo yeah. because there's just so much excitement in following. And we, we haven't got a chance to see him really do a whole lot in drills, I don't think, but um, obviously people are excited about him. And then a, a couple of other freshmen are here as well, Jimon Eford at linebacker, Josh Delgado. At wide receiver, Kale Millen at quarterback, and then a couple of Jukos and Drew Mathis also at linebacker, and Malasala Amave Laulu on the offensive line. Good effort. I think I, that was that was the best I've ever felt saying a Polynesian name that I'm not close to. I'm sure I didn't even get close to saying. So my confidence level's at a 10. I think it probably was maybe 2 out of 10 in terms of actual pronunciation. You've watched more of the defense than, yeah. than I have. Uh, I've primarily watched the, the offense the first two days. Um, Delgado is basically working with the second team receivers already. Um, he, he's positioned himself, I think, uh, already for a, a run where he could move up the depth chart throughout spring. Um, Kale Millen is dealing with some kind of a foot injury he got during the fourth quarter program. Um, it's looking like uh, he's kind of the third slash fourth quarterback. Uh, Yaffe has, has taken... Um, a redshirt freshman quarterback walk-on has taken the third team reps so far, and look, it's so early, it's so early and you're, you're you're we're gonna see guys bounce around between weird spots. I mean, you're telling us on on Saturday's practice, Troy I was taking second team reps at inside well, linebacker. When and, and Bro McKinley was at, like lined up at linebacker, I have no idea. What's going on. <laughs> and again, that's where I don't have no idea what's going on on defense right now with those guys. And so you know, position battles and all that, like. Yeah, it's going to be something to watch and it's something to discuss and, and pay attention to, but it's not the overlaying theme here. No, it's, right it's more about individual skill uh, and, and bringing 11 guys into a cohesive unit. Defensively, though, um, Andy Avalos did tell you kind of who fits that stud linebacker position that, that made Boise so famous and his defense so good. Yeah, you know, I think I think the thing that stands out with the stud thing is it, it sounds honestly quite a bit like what the duck linebacker was previously, and and that's basically a big athletic guy that can run sideline to sideline, that can rush the passer, but can also drop into coverage. So sounds like I think Abelo said they have about six guys that, that they that like at that position or at the other um, edge position, and those are guys that include guys like Kayvon Thibodeau, DJ Johnson, Adrian Jackson. Um, and Lamar Winston, who Winston obviously was playing that duck position uh, previously, so some history of kind of playing that similar kind of role. So it'll be interesting to see how that all comes together in terms of what that looks like. But I do think that is going to be something that's fairly significant. That was one of kind of the main kind of featured components of what Avalos was doing at Boise State. Um, and, and I'll be very curious to kind of see with guys like DJ Johnson and Kayvon Thibodeau, two highly rated, highly regarded guys, jumbo athletes off the edge, 
where do those guys line up? Because I think that when people watch the defense, those are going to be two of the guys fans are going to want to watch just because of the excitement level of what they can do getting to the quarterback. Um, so it'll be interesting to see kind of how that all sets up. I think obviously we'll, we'll get a better idea over you know the entirety of spring camp. But to this point, Johnson's been working with linebackers. Thibodeau has been working um, with the defensive line group. I think you know watching Thibodeau move just really briefly because we've seen so little. He he does move I think a little differently than your average guy, and I don't think that surprises anybody who's seen the film. He's very fluid. Uh, he moves much better than your again your average six foot five, two hundred and forty five pound true freshman moves. So obviously very minor, very very small sample size, not a whole lot to report on from him, but just the limited stuff we've seen, the glimpses we've seen, you can kind of see where the hype would be. I think another guy that's gotten a little bit of hype too is Brian Addison, now wide receiver, switching gears a little bit. But I think both days now, Mario Cristobal and then Marcus Arroyo mentioned that Addison had, has looked really good in practice. You look at him in practice, uh, he's I clearly put on some weight, looks bigger, looks a little bit thicker, uh, especially uh, in the upper body. So he's somebody that I think Oregon fans have been excited about now for two seasons, or I should say first season and now into the spring. Curious to see how kind of this spring works for him, but clearly a guy at wide receiver who has a really, really big upside. Um, Marcus Arroyo talked a lot about how uh, Oregon's staff, in you know, full staff, but he was, you know, probably talking more about the offense because he works with the offense, but it, it's very, it, it crosses right over to the defensive side of the football as well. Um he, he said the off season is a is a time where they've got a, a system that can you know they they track every play every situation during the 2018 season and, and beyond that and they they go back and they review every play every snap and what worked what didn't work why did it work that, and they figure out all this information they get all this data and he talked about a lot about on on Monday of you know figuring out why you're doing things why are you you know. He said, we're human. We, we, we like certain plays, just, you know, certain things, just like other people like certain things. Right. And he said the, the spring and the off season is a lot about finding out why do you like this play and does it make sense to continue mm-hmm. going to the well X amount of times. Uh, and, and if it does, then yeah, keep doing it. If it doesn't, you know, scrap it and move on. And uh, maybe and he goes, maybe we, they find information where we ran this play, you know, in – 12 times, and 7 out of the 12 times it went for an explosion play. Why did we not run this play more? Uh, and that's, he talked a lot about that. They have a binder. Talk, he's talked about the binder before. Right. Um, yes. But they have a binder of just all this information and uh, collecting data, and, and he talked about, you know, that's kind of what their focus was going into spring. It will be the same way going out of spring. Uh, and then for the first period of spring ball, which is about five practices until they take a two-week break, he said it's all about for the offense just building a foundation, building some kind of you know baseline so that they can get a true evaluation of where these guys are at because they don't want to overload players with so much information. And all they're doing all spring is think, 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 and right. just not playing. Um, so I guess the point I'm getting to is kind of what you were getting to already is that spring football is – all about teaching, all about developing. And this is a, a critical junction of laying that foundation for Oregon's 2019 football season of getting guys adjusted, getting guys, you know, a baseline and then building up from there. 
One cool thing I think that Roy touched on was that there are, I think, four more, or five more, I think it is, freshmen coming in, or four more, sorry, coming in in the second portion of spring. We should say those who are unfamiliar, they're going to be doing five practices, like you said, two weeks off, then come back on April 2nd. But one thing that Roy said that was kind of interesting that is that Micah Pittman and Patrick Herbert have been already getting practice video, yeah. it sounds like, and the playbook to install, and they're going home and watching that. Um, you know, each night it sounds like, and trying to, just trying to keep up like they're already here. So that was kind of a cool, like, small little detail. Probably nothing overly, you know, I'm not sure that's, like, groundbreaking news or anything that's been done differently than anywhere else. I'm sure it's not. I'm sure it's common practice. But I thought that was kind of an interesting little note that, that Arroyo uh, kind of leaked out yesterday. Shifting gears now to Oregon's basketball uh, and the Pac-12 tournament. Boy, um Oregon is probably the hottest team going into the Pac-12 tournament. Here's my weird take. I think the Oregon men are currently playing at a higher level, at least of their potential, than the Oregon women are at this very moment. And that's a you know, weird comment to make, but I just think that is the Oregon men are really hot right now. And they've beaten four teams in, in, in four games in a row. And honestly, all of them have been fairly, I don't want to say dominant or resounding victories, but none of them have come down to like the last possession or anything. Right. They blew out the Arizona schools at home and then... You were up in Seattle over the weekend and, and, and saw a, a really, I think, a pretty dang impressive way to finish the regular season. Yeah, Seattle was certainly eye-opening just because um, you, you look at this program and I, I was expecting Oregon to win a game that was going to be kind of like kind of like UCLA, where it's back and forth throughout the game. Um, you know, Oregon has to make some kind of run in the second half to maybe regain the lead or you know, get their first lead of the game. And, you know, it's a game that's going to be played in the 70s and 80s and, and not what we got, which was a game played in the 50s and the 40s. Yeah. And uh, Oregon got the tip. They missed their first shot. Washington went down. My T. Steibel, I, I, I don't think he's a, a very good career three-point shooter. I don't have his percentages in front of me. But I'd be shocked if it's above 35%. Um, he got open on the wing and splashed a perfect J uh, on a three-point attempt. The place went nuts because it's it's senior night. It's Oregon. It's the first shot of, the, of their first of, of their game, uh, and it's a three-pointer. And it's coming from the guy that probably the fan base loves the most, Matisse Thibel, a senior uh, guy that started every single game he's that that Washington has played in the last four years. Yep. And uh, the place exploded, and it was like. Here we go. Oregon's already in a little funk. And then for the next, I think, 12 minutes, uh, Washington made one other field goal. And it was a mighty style three. And Oregon controlled the, 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 the game from start to finish. And they won 55 to 47. And they now have dominating wins over the conference champion Washington, the second place team, and or and, and uh, Arizona State from the previous week, they dominated an Arizona team, they dominated a Washington State team, and then earlier on in the year, uh, they had a dominating win against the third place team in Utah right. uh, on the road. Yeah. And so Oregon goes into Vegas now where I think, you know, we'll make our picks here in a little bit, but looking across other outlets uh, that cover basketball, Oregon is starting to be the more popular name that people are going to say is going to win the Pac-12 tournament. There's still a lot of people out there saying Washington. Right. Uh, the Athletic just did something where there's a couple um, Pac-12 analysts and, other, and others saying, you know, if it's not Washington, it's Arizona State. But Oregon's in that discussion in that same story with the Athletic. Uh, Pat Forty picked Oregon. 
John Wilner picked Oregon. Um, there's more and more outlets now coming out and saying it's going to be Oregon. They're going to be the first team, I think, since Colorado in 2012. Well, that won four in a row. And, then, and if you're a Washington fan, you're not real excited <laughs> about that. That was the last time you won the conference outright and they didn't go to the NCAA tournament. Uh, it'll be really – this. we'll make our picks in a second. I'm looking at this bracket, and I'm so stumped because, I, honestly, I, I, these teams – if you follow this conference, these teams have – like, any night, any of these teams could beat almost any of these teams. And I usually – I wouldn't have said that, like, two weeks ago as Cal had lost everybody, but – Cal just finished their season winning three straight games, and they could. And they have a seven footer that's do- that's dominating in those three they could, games. They could conceivably get hot here and, and beat Colorado, and suddenly you look up and they're like in the semifinals. I, you just don't know, and, and I think Oregon is is the perfect example of that right now because they are the hottest team in the conference. They finished with four straight wins. They beat you know two of the the top two. They beat the top two seeds by I think what a combined about forty points if you if you just add up the totals. And yet, are we sure they're going to make a run at this? I mean, I, I, I think they have absolutely, you know, you've seen them show their potential, and, and I wouldn't be shocked at all if they're playing on Friday or Saturday night, but I also wouldn't be shocked at all if they struggle with Washington State and struggle with Utah, because it's just been one of those up and down seasons, and to me this week is, have they turned the corner? Because we, we've talked about this, like, I, 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 basically it seems like every time they play a couple of good games in a row, we go, oh, here they go again, have they turned the corner? And they come out and, and put out a couple of duds. Obviously, beating Washington State and Washington on the road, that would have been an opportunity for a couple of duds to pop up. Didn't happen, but I'm still cautiously optimistic about how this team is going to play down in Vegas because this season, and going back to last season, we've seen it where they start playing really well, you start getting confidence, but they kind of falter at the wrong time, and then you're going, well, holy crap, I thought this team was going to do something a little bit more exciting, and they can't do it. So I I think a lot of reason for optimism, but also a lot of reason for caution. Oregon defensively, the last four games that they've played, uh, they have allowed 51 points against Arizona State, 47 points against Arizona, 61 against Washington State, and then 47 against Washington. That's the lowest four-game total since the inception of the shot clock in Oregon basketball history. I think that's 85-86. They've never had a four-game total where they've had that few of points allowed in, in a conference game. Their their defense is playing really well. And you know that they're playing really well when Dana Altman on Monday <laughs> comes out and says, you know, I I was just thinking that teams were just hitting you know, weren't hitting their shots. They were they were getting good looks and and they were they just weren't making their baskets. But you know what? We were actually playing really really good defense. <laughs> like even when when Dana comes out and starts Think, yeah, like we are playing really, really well right now. Which is his version of a compliment. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's when you know you're playing tremendous defense, and right. you look at this team, and I think you have to kick into gear the fact that Francis Okoro has been a big, huge part, of a it. huge part of that. Yeah. And you look at his stats, and um, you know, there's games where he had against the Arizona schools, uh, he had 17 rebounds and 17 points in those two games. Um, and then you look at the Washington State game. He didn't really do anything in that like one. Zero points, five rebounds. Yeah, and then against Washington, again, he had a big game. Nine points and ten rebounds. He had a steal. Uh, he had a couple of turnovers, um, but shot four or five from the field. Uh, so you're, you're getting a little bit of both from Francis, of you know some stuff that shows up in the stat sheet, but then there's also a lot of stuff that doesn't, and that's communication, that's energy, that's, uh, you know, 
defensive rotations and and physicality on defense and on offense. Uh, and, and Altman kind of you know talked about that. Peyton Pritchard after the Washington game praised you know Okoro's ability for that. We've talked about it on the podcast already before about how Dana kind of compared Francis Okoro to uh, a mindset of a Dylan Brooks, not the player type, but a mindset right. type. Right. Um, you know, Francis Okoro has been a huge piece to this run, but I think a piece that's gotten lost and uh, that needs to be discussed is the elevation of, of his game and Peyton Pritchard. Yeah. Um, you know, on both ends of the floor as well, because uh, in the last four games, he's had 18 points, 12 points, 15 points, 16 points. Uh, he's made he's made uh, seven three-point shots in, in four games. He's had just one game where he shot under 50%, and that was a Arizona game where he shot 44%, uh, and that was his low of 12. Uh, he's had games where he's had seven assists and four assists. Uh, but and so he's playing really well offensively, and and that, that's always going to be, you know, when he's on offensively, Oregon's at another level. Uh, yeah. But but defensively is where I think he's really cranked up. He had five steals against Washington, three against Washington State, four against Arizona, and two against Arizona State. I mean, what is that? That that's fourteen steals in five games. That's in four games. Four games. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, that's impressive. Yeah. Well, and he's a guy that. We're going to get to this probably, but the all-conference. He was yeah. not on the all-conference, all-defensive team, but he finished second in the conference in steals this season. So somebody that might have been deserving of a look there, but I agree with you. He, he, is, he has sort of stepped things up, and, and they've been waiting. They've been waiting all season for this to come from him because we saw this last year where, you know, I, I tallied up his stats for the last four games. He's averaging 15 points on 54% shooting at 41% from a three. Those aren't that much different from what he was doing for all of last season. So he's basically playing at what he was doing last year, maybe a step up in terms of elevating that. But it's kind of, it, I think it's been a disappointing season for him for the most part, just because we knew he was capable of playing closer to this level than what he had been playing at previously. So good to see him playing at a high level towards the end. And I don't think it's, by, I think it's by no surprise and no accident that there is a correlation between this team finally playing at a little bit higher level on both sides of the, of the floor and Pritchard playing at a higher level on both sides of the floor. I, I do think, I know a lot of people are not big fans of Peyton Pritchard. I think Matt and I were joking about this the other day. If he comes back for a senior year, he's going to finish very high on the all-time scoring list, and there's probably going to be some people that are kind of like, that guy, we didn't think he was all that good at Oregon, but he is still clearly one of the key components of this team. So him playing at a high level, I think, gives them an opportunity, especially in a guard-driven conference have a chance this week yeah and this team now goes into into vegas as you know the second uh, most sportsbooks i've looked at they're the second highest favorite you know odds on favorite to win the league you know behind washington um they're going into a draw that's exactly identical as it was last year for the first two games and look the last four years the ducks have made the semifinals every year uh, so they're, you know, five, excuse me. So they're, they're looking for their sixth straight, uh, semifinal appearance. And, you know, Kenny Wooten talked about how, you know, last year he was super nervous. He's not nervous anymore. He's not intimidated by any team. He wasn't trying to, you know, disparage any team out there. He, that's just kind of where the confidence is in this team right now. Is, you know, they know they can beat anybody and they've got a draw, in my opinion, that sets up for a potential, you know, four game run because they, they play Washington State. Uh, Wednesday night, tomorrow night at 11.30 p.m. on, on uh, ESPN. Or is that Pac-12 Networks? I think it's it, Pac-12. Yeah, Pac-12 Networks. And then 
they play another – if they win that one, they play Utah, which they did last year, uh, in the 8.30 game again on ESPN. And then that's where it gets kind of, you know, interesting because you could play a Stanford, you could play a UCLA, you could play the two-seed Arizona State if you get that far. Uh, and then on the other side of the bracket, obviously Washington's one, Oregon State is four, uh, Colorado is five, and Arizona and USC are, are eight, nine and eight. Eight and nine, right. And, you know, is it, would it surprise you if Washington loses on, on Thursday? I don't think anything would surprise me in this whole tournament, honestly. I think with the exception of, like, I'm not saying if Cal made the semifinals at this point, I'd be like, oh, all right, that's just how things are going this year. It's just a weird year. I think Washington State making the semifinals, making a run, would probably be the one team that I would be surprised of just because they've been playing really poorly recently. But, like, yeah, no, I, USC and Arizona probably have more talent than Washington. I mean, I, I don't think probably that. They, they have more talent than Washington, and, and those teams have pushed Washington a little bit when they've played. I, I know at least I remember watching, I think Arizona uh, gave Washington a pretty decent run, but... Uh, no, I wouldn't be shocked at all. And again, I, I've been all season saying Washington's the most experienced team. I don't think they're the most talented team. I think they're definitely susceptible to losing. Oregon, you know, kind of handed it to them over the weekend. So, um, but we should probably, let's just run through our Yeah, picks. I was just going to say, let's, let's, let's start with it. We're going to make all our picks for all these games. Yep, all right. Uh, number nine, Arizona. Number eight, USC. Who you got? I got Arizona. I'm going, uh, Arizona as well. And then, that moves on down to the second game uh, of, two, of Wednesday, number 12, California, uh, against number 5, Colorado. I'm going to just say it for you, Colorado. Let's do it. Let's go, Chuck. Uh, moving over on to the other side of the bracket, that leaves us with uh, Stanford, who's a 10 seed, and then uh, UCLA, who is the 7 seed. We got. I'm going to go Stanford. UCLA is so up and down this season, and, and they've kind of Stanford's not very good either. These teams are so evenly matched, but I, I like I like Stanford just because UCLA has had some kind of red flags to me. I, I'm going UCLA. I, I I think the Bruins, just like the Ducks, are a team that if they play to their potential, right, they should win the league. Uh, but they haven't done that, and to an extent, they've been worse at that than Oregon has this season. Uh, Oregon versus Washington State. Ducks are, are 11. Washington State is, is or Washington State is 11. Oregon right. is 6. I'll, I'll, I'll go Oregon here. Yeah, Oregon, the same here for me. I'm not anticipating the Ducks losing. Uh, Dan Altman has actually never lost uh, an opening round game since the move to Vegas in uh, the Pac-12 tournament. So every time that they've played in Vegas, uh, Oregon has walked out of there with at least one win. Uh, and I think it's only been... One year they haven't gotten they haven't gotten to the semifinals yet either, and that was uh, 2013 2014 when they lost to UCLA right. in in the quarterfinal round. Um, let's go now to the to the quarterfinal round. Number one seed Washington taking on number nine seed Arizona. I'm guessing you're taking Arizona, maybe. I'm taking I'll take Washington. No, I'm going Washington. All right, we'll go Washington. So we both go Washington. Um, that sets up a. Number four seed Oregon State oh, taking on five seed Colorado, which will air at two, which will start at two thirty on Thursday. I guess this is technically probably the most difficult game on the bracket yes. so far because it's four versus five, and I'm really kind of stumped here. I'll, I'll go with Oregon State and the experience, but I think Colorado's. I think Colorado's quietly really a dangerous team as a five seed. Yeah, I would I would agree. I think Colorado, if if it's not Oregon, that's the hot team. Colorado's the other. One. Colorado is the other one, and. 
they've gotten a, a, a lot better as the year gone, has gone on. They've got some really good athletes. That being said, I'm picking Oregon State because I think uh, defensively they are at another level. They have a guy that you know Colorado doesn't have that can you know rim protect like Kyler, Kyler Kelly right. does. Tyler Bay is pretty good, but he's not a Kyler Kelly you know from a shot blocking rim protection standpoint. And then they have the best player on the court, and that's Trey Stinkle, in my opinion, in that game. So I'm going to Oregon State as well. So Oregon State did beat Colorado in Boulder this year, so yes. that's worth, but also worth noting. Uh, on the other side, we've got Arizona State um, taking on, for you, Stanford. Arizona State taking on UCLA for me. I'm going to take Stanford. I'm going to make things interesting. I, 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 I've watched Arizona State enough now to go, that's not a very, that's a very unpredictable team. Well, I'm also thinking Arizona State gets upset, going and I'm, I'm going UCLA. All right. uh, I, I just think the Bruins have all this talent in the world, and you know, if they play at their level, they should win. Uh, that sets up a Utah versus Oregon matchup for both of us. Utah is the three seed. Oregon is the six seed. I will take Oregon. It would be, if I didn't take Oregon now, it would kind of be strange. <laughs> The next uh, round, though, we'll start. Uh, I am going. I am going with uh, Oregon as well. I just think Utah is a really, really good matchup for the Ducks. Yeah, Dana Altman's has a great. I think he's ten and three all time against. Yeah, Kristoviak cannot beat Dana Altman, and I and I think Oregon's athletes, particularly Paul White, Lewis King, Kenny Wooten, Francis Okoro, are on an, another level down low than what Utah has. You know, they've got D- Donnie Tillman and um, uh, what's his name, the freshman. Um, his name is escaping me, uh, but he was on the freshman team as well. They've, they've got basically two serviceable big guys, and Oregon's got about five. Right. Miles Norris included in that group as well. Uh, let's move on now. Uh, you've got Washington against Oregon State in the semifinals. I've got Washington and Oregon State as well. I'm gonna make this. I'm gonna go Oregon State because I'm, I'm creating a really interesting. We did not talk about this at all. Are we, are we both doing the same. Thing? I'm doing the exact same thing. <laughs> I don't think Washington uh, is playing their best basketball right now. And if if I I think they barely get by Arizona. Are we both doing a Civil War rematch here in the final? <laughs> I think we might be both doing a Civil War rematch in the final. Uh, and then the other side of things, UCLA. Or you have Stanford, Oregon. I have UCLA, oh, Oregon. Man. We're both. I'm God. Like a Civil War repeat. Why not? Yeah, that's that's where we're going. Civil War repeat. And we should say that neither we didn't we did not discuss what we were going to do. And honestly, I was I picked up to the semifinals and was then deciding what I was going to do there. And uh, we're both on the same thing. I, I think okay. What what's been the hardest game for you to pick? I, I think that Oregon State Colorado game is honestly the hardest one because I think I, I think whoever wins that game has a really good chance of winning that bracket. I really do because I think Washington's very susceptible. And I think both Colorado and Oregon State pose problems. See, I, I'm I I struggled a lot with uh, Arizona State UCLA. Mm-hmm. I think UCLA is going to have no problem with Stanford. Um, well, obviously, I, I disagree. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Um, I just think. If Arizona State plays like they should, right. you know, they should win that game. But if UCLA plays like they should, they should blow out UCLA. And U- ASU plays too much rat ball for me to, to trust them. Um, you know, maybe they Same here, I agree. maybe they they figure things out though, and and you know they they do have some seniors on that team. UCLA I think has maybe one or two, but you know they're not prominent players like you know Hands or or Wilkes or sure. Moses Brown. Um, 
So maybe that changes things for me, but I think that's the toughest game for me, Arizona State, UCLA, because I, I, if it's ASU that gets out of there, I don't like Oregon winning that game because I think they have the similar athletes that Oregon does, uh, and they won't be playing at Matt Nat Arena, and there will be a solid ASU crowd right. at Vegas. Um, so it'll be curious to see how that plays out. All right, championship game, Civil War rematch, third game in a row. Um, two different times Oregon has played them, and at two different times they've had a lead in the second half, and then they've, they've squandered it and kind of just kind of get blown out in the second game, and they let a win slip away through their fingers the first time at home. Can you imagine if on the Duck Pro podcast I picked Oregon State <laughs> to win three games over Oregon in the same season in basketball? Uh, honestly, in part because I think Oregon is the better team, and in part because this is an Oregon podcast, and I would feel some level of guilt for picking Oregon State to win three straight games, including a trip to the NCAA tournament over Oregon. I'm going to go with the Oregon Ducks to win the Pac-12 Conference Championship and make, a, and make and earn a bid, shockingly, to the NCAA tournament, because why not? It's a, it's a Duck Territory podcast, and, and, and Oregon's playing at a much higher level than they were not that long ago. See, I, I've i gone the other direction. Oh, boy. I've, I've gone back and forth on this. I hadn't decided when we started. Um, I just think Oregon State, for whatever reason, has been a, a very, very tough matchup for Oregon has this season. Um I do think, though, that Oregon is playing at a level that they've never been playing at going into the tournament. Um, and if, if they play like they did against the, you know Arizona, Arizona State, Washington State, and Oregon, yeah. they should they should beat Oregon State. Um, they have the players, they have the depth, they have the talent, and they have the defense in particular to do this. Um, it's going to be all about getting Trace Tinkle out in into foul trouble and getting Kyle Kelly into foul trouble. Do those two things, neutralize those two guys, and you win the game. I think the change in the lineup with going with you know four, big guys. four big guys to start and then Okoro emerging, not that Okoro is going to neutralize Kyler Kelly, but he does have a history that during this run of getting opposing big guys in foul trouble, and maybe it's Tinkle, maybe it's Kelly, but if they can find a way with, again, I think they kind of restructure how they're operating up front, maybe that's the change that it was, is needed to be Oregon State because I think – I think I do. I really do think Oregon has a chance to make a run at this, and maybe maybe it'll be similar to the, the women's side here, where you know numerous games and numerous days is too much. But I really like the way this sets up for Oregon. You know, if if it plays out the way we're talking, avoiding Arizona State would be crucial. Avoiding Washington would be crucial. But if they play Washington State, Utah, uh, Stanford slash UCLA, and then Oregon State, I think that's a pretty favorable field. Yeah, I'm going Oregon as well. I think the Ducks punched their ticket to the tournament, and it's kind of a hey. You got to destination B, but you took the craziest path to get there. But you arrived, and, and you made it safely, and you're in the dance for a third time in four years. Hypothetically, four. if they did make it, I know we've gone a little long here. Um, if they did make a tournament, what do you think their seed range would be? Would they be like, so I, did, right, 13 or I did not know this. I, Greg Walker, Oregon's SID yeah. for the basketball team, and I were talking just kind of about just the scenarios and whatnot at media day on Monday, and I did not know this. I said, oh, yeah, it's going to be fun. If they if they make it to the tournament, we're going to have to go to Dayton. You know, we're going to have to fly to Dayton. I've never, you know, mm-hmm. what are the logistics do you know about getting to Dayton? And he goes, actually, if it's been built in as a rule 
that if a Power 5 or I guess a group of six, a Power 6 team wins their conference tournament, they do not go to Dayton as a reward. So that means typically the, the, the Power 5 teams that go to Dayton, they're typically 11 seeds. 11s and 12s, yeah. So Oregon is, is either going to be like a 10 or an 11 uh, or a 12, but they won't be going to Dayton. They'll be going to a traditional four-game, you know, set. This is setting up for Oregon Duke in the second round. The two, 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 two seed <laughs> Blue Devils and the 10 seed Ducks. In uh, what, Greensboro or wherever the tournament is? Somewhere probably much closer to Duke than to Eugene. Do you think there's a possibility they could get a West Coast okay. spot? Well, that that would be that would actually be similar to what, what tournament was that where they went to the Sweet 16, yes. where they were, I think, a, a 13 seed. 2012, 2013. Right, whatever year that was. It was and, a 12 seed. And they played San Jose after winning the conference tournament, but having a really weird year. Yeah, they played Oklahoma State and St. Uh, Louis. St. Louis in the second round. Right. Um, I I don't know, but that would be that would be really bizarre. I, I, maybe maybe. I just remember the, the the Oklahoma State head coach was absolutely furious yeah. that Oregon was. Was placed in a, as a twelve, Ford. yeah, as a twelve seed in the West Region. He's like, it's almost a home game for them. Like, this is bull. Well, I, you can uh, if you were a five seed and you felt like you deserved to play, maybe like I don't know, like South Dakota or something, South yeah. Dakota State in that round. Then you play the Pac-12 champion, <laughs> like, you know, seven and a half hours from their home. Eh, not the best. And I and look, uh, maybe let's let's wrap things up just here. And the fact that is Oregon's bubble life actually dead because. They have a better uh, RPI, or not RPI, but they have a better net ranking than Arizona State does. And ASU is typically viewed as a team that's, they're not 100% safe, but, you know, they need to, you know, maybe win one game or maybe two games in in Vegas to, to get in. And they're 67th in the net as of Tuesday. Oregon is 61st as of Tuesday. And, and, they don't play a lot of teams that are going to, you know, they won't play anybody ranked higher than them outside of Washington. So, you know, maybe it's going to take a case of beating a Washington. But if you beat Washington, that means you won the the conference tournament and you're in automatically. So, right. um, I, I think at large is really tough. I mean, is it dead, though? Like, is there a scenario out there where they can get in? If they were, so let's say they won their first three games and let's say they beat Washington State, Utah, and we'll say Arizona State, State just to make it better. Then they'd be 23 and 13. I'm saying they're losing the conference championship to whoever. And I bet their net ranking would be like 48 or something like that. 45 maybe in that range. 45 to 50. I don't know. I think that's really, really, really bubbly. That's that's like right there. I feel like that's last four out kind of thing. Or, or I don't know. I, I still think it'd be, it's still tough. It's still not quite there. I the way the season has gone, that they we've talked about this off the air. If they hadn't lost Texas Southern, if they would have just won one of those three home games against Oregon State, Washington, or UCLA, they'd probably be in a position right now where you would feel like they have a kicker's chance because their RPI would be five or six points better, and their record would be you know they'd be twenty and eleven right now, and you'd be going, hey, if they win three games and and even they lose in the championship, they'll have a really good chance. I just still think it's a lot to ask. But who knows? Crazier things have happened. Maybe a bunch of teams around them they're also in the bubble lose early in the conference tournament. Oregon makes a run at it, but. I think it's still pretty tough. Uh, that's going to do it for us on the Duck Territory Podcast. For Eric Scopel and myself, Matt Prame, thanks for listening 
Go to DuckTerritory.com for more. Uh, we'll have full coverage of Vegas, uh, as well as spring football, as well as recruiting, as well as softball, as well as baseball. Uh, everything is going on. Women's basketball is, we'll, we'll have some stuff as well. So, uh, go to DuckTerritory.com for more, uh, coverage of your Oregon athletic needs, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Adios, amigos.